You're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. What's new in antipsychotic treatment for children and adolescents? Welcome to our special series on children's mental health. I am Dr. Leslie Lunt, author of You Can Think Like a Psychiatrist, your host, and with me today is Dr. Christoph Carell. Dr. Carell is a research psychiatrist at the Zucker Hillside Hospital, Albert Einstein College of Medicine in New York. He is director of the Adverse Events Assessment and Prevention Unit and the medical director of the Zucker Hillside Hospital Recognition and Prevention Program, an NIMH-funded clinic focusing on the identification and early intervention of individuals at high risk for schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. Welcome to ReachMD. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Dr. Carell, what have we learned recently about using antipsychotic medication in children and adolescents? We have learned that these medications, this group of medications, has been used more frequently than in the past. The prescribing of antipsychotics in children and adolescents has increased for some people dramatically, for other people more appropriately, because we don't know whether patients are now treated with these potent medications because they are more identified as having issues that need treatment or whether there's an overprescribing in order to just calm patients down. And whenever there's a debate, obviously there can be a mixture. But we now know that atypical antipsychotics have also broader efficacy than the typical antipsychotics, and they're safer to use in general. I think those two components have fueled the use of antipsychotics in kids that are also now more recognized to have complications and disorders that require early intervention in order to improve outcomes. Now, aren't many of these antipsychotic medications used off-label, however? Yeah, that is a good point. The problem is that studies in children and adolescents lag behind the studies in adults. The pharmaceutical companies have not had until recently the incentive to really study these vulnerable populations that are hard to enroll and where they don't see their main market. And they also saw that patients that are children and adolescents were prescribed these agents anyway based on the evidence from adults. Fortunately, this has changed. There has been a large initiative by the Food and Drug Administration, the National Institute of Mental Health, Academia, and Industry to provide safety data. That's what the FDA required, six-month safety data that when these agents are used to such a degree, we want to know that the kids are safe. Fortunately, the industry has responded by saying, well, if we study safety in a six-month trial, let's make a real efficacy study out of this for three months and then do an extension study. And there are now several medications, atypicals, that will that are either are approved now or will be approved in the near future most likely for the use in children and adolescents with either schizophrenia or bipolar disorder. At the moment, only risperidone is approved for use for irritability associated with autistic disorder, schizophrenia, and bipolar disorder. But trials have been completed for olanzapine, for aripiprazole, and also for quetiapine, some of which have been presented and are positive. So we will have a greater evidence base, but on the other hand, child and adolescent psychiatrists will still prescribe these agents for conditions that haven't been studied as well, i.e., conditions on the not otherwise specified level, subsyndromal for the full adulthood diagnosable disorder, mood disorder NOS, bipolar disorder NOS, psychosis NOS. But recent data suggests that many of these agents are actually used for aggression and ill-defined disruptive behavior disorders, which has 
resulted in a criticism. Are clinicians just giving this instead of psychotherapy or what's the real underlying issue here? And while this may be a symptomatic treatment, I have to say usually child psychiatrists don't go around in the community and say, well, I want to give you an antipsychotic. These patients are brought to us because they have real problems. They have issues with aggression, with psychosis, with mania, not functioning well in society, in school, with their peers and at home. And it's an emergency when kids cannot function well, don't interact, and don't learn what is developmentally appropriate for them. So we need to intervene and we need to help these patients. Dopamine blocking agents, antipsychotics, are helpful to reduce mania, mood instability, psychosis, and aggression, and that's where they are used clinically. It is becoming a a political hot potato as well. I'm sure you're aware of a high-profile case, I believe, in Minnesota where a psychiatrist prescribed Risperdal and there were some adverse events that followed and the media got in there and dug around and found that he had received payment from the company that makes Risperidone. I believe it was relatively trivial, maybe $1,000 for a lecture somewhere along the way. And so the, the buzz is that, ah, that you know we're all bought off by industry and we're using these medicines indiscriminately. Yes, there have been several media coverages now, even on the front page of the New York Times, linking doctors who have a relationship with the industry to the increased prescribing in in the community. Obviously, the experts in the field are the ones that also give advice to the companies. They may even get medications for free in order to use it in studies in order to enhance our knowledge about this. This most likely doesn't increase the use of the psychiatrist on the street, but we need more more evidence here. It's too simple to just say somebody got some money for a lecture. Actually, in this case, the lecture was not about risperidone. It was for Janssen and Janssen, but it was for a drug that's used in ADHD. So the hype in the media is about are we over-prescribing and why are we over-prescribing and are we giving potent, potentially dangerous drugs to these kids that don't need them? And that is a debate that needs to still be fought out because Many psychiatrists and clinicians believe that we're now finally at a stage where we're picking up these disorders early enough, where we're starting to intervene, and where these patients actually do better. There has been a debate about ADHD and uh, stimulant use, but the MTA study has clearly shown that people who are effectively treatment have better long-term outcomes, less incarceration, less substance abuse, better psychosocial functioning, less accidents and death. And I'm sure we will find similar outcomes when we intervene early in psychosis, bipolar disorder, and severe aggressive disorders when we intervene with with medications that can be very helpful. Now, on the flip side, obviously, medications are controlled poison, whatever you give, and we have to look at side effects and finally try to find the least side effect-laden, most effective treatment for each individual patient. For those who are just tuning in, you're listening to Children's Health on ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Christoph Carell. We are discussing the latest developments in child psychiatry. Yeah, Dr. Krell, for me, I always sort of giggle, although it's not funny, that the people that are so militant about not medicating children ever, uh, when their kid is the one in trouble, they're the first one at the door wanting help. Exactly. It's fine in theory, but then when you have these kids in desperate trouble, we have to do something. And that's why I think it would be good to have some parents come up to the front also and talk to the media and say, but 
I know my kid had some side effects, but now she's back where she needed to be or he, and, and the medication was very helpful. Now, other than existing medications getting additional uh, approval by the FDA for use in children, is there anything on the horizon maybe that, that's brand new? Remember, these treatments that will become available to kids are usually or almost always tested first in adults because these are less vulnerable populations. For psychosis, there is a new medication that just tested in Russia. It's a glutamate agonist, a metabotropic glutamate 2,3 receptor agonist, which has shown, at least in the, the Russian study, to be antipsychotic, which would be a truly novel mechanism, no weight gain, and antipsychotic. This is phase three now. We'll, we'll have to wait a couple of years until this has been tested in U.S. samples, so the safety and efficacy. Once that is available, it should be tried in kids too if it's really safe and there are no issues with it, um, either as augmentation treatment or as monotherapy that may be a breakthrough in treatment. But this is still uh, up on the horizon. For bipolar disorder, usually there's a trickle down from the epilepsy field. Any anti-epileptic is then later studied as potentially stabilizing also so-called mini-epilepsies in the mesolimbic, in the um, mood brain. We don't know. It's most likely not an epilepsy, but it's just a stabilization of neuronal firing. And there may be some new drugs that come down the pike, but they are also always first tested in, in adults. Now, what about the advent of pharmacogenetics? Is that something that's being looked at in kids and adolescents? Yes, it is. And it, this is obviously a very interesting sprouting field. Can we identify with a buccal smear or a, a blood test who is most likely to have side effects, to a certain drug or who will respond versus who will not respond to drug X, Y, or Z. This is still relatively in its infancy, but we have a couple of breakthroughs that are already visible. There is a genetic marker for clozapine-induced agranulocytosis that is now being replicated. There is a new drug that is not yet approved by the FDA, iloperidone, where they claim they have a genetic marker that would predict response to this drug. But you asked specifically about kids. To study pharmacogenetics in kids has an advantage in that it is a restricted phenotype, which means you're already somewhat purifying the sample by having an early onset disorder sample and most likely a sample that's also more severely ill and more sensitive to side effects. So your signal for a certain gene versus the noise ratio may be increased. And there are some studies underway, but they are usually flawed by small numbers. For genetic studies, you need thousands of patients, and we need more money to do this. We've tried to get money from the NIMH for a pharmacogenomics initiative of weight gain in children and adolescents, and unfortunately, we didn't get the funding for that. So it's still something that, that needs to be done. For those who are just tuning in, you're listening to Children's Health on ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Christoph Carell. We are discussing the latest developments in child psychiatry. Now, how about in the field of ADHD? Anything coming up new there? Well, there have been a couple of new developments, which is mostly the delivery of the medication. There is a drug that is longer acting that may have a second peak here. So we have different formulations that can 
be tailored, the medication delivery can be tailored to the patient's needs. When somebody wants to study into the evening, they can potentially do that if they have a patch and they take it off later than they used to. So it's mostly in the delivery system kind of a range where, where we see some progress here. Anything else that's that's on the horizon in child psychiatry that our audience would need to know? Well, um, I think what's important is to note that studies that have com- used or looked at combined pharmacotherapy and non-pharmacologic treatment show usually better outcomes, whether that's the ADHD study or the TATS, the child depression study. So combining medication with non-pharmacologic therapy-like treatment is very important. And this should be done much more, and we also need to study it more. Makes sense to me. Well, I want to thank our guest today, Dr. Christoph Carell. We have been discussing the newest research in child psychiatry. I am Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to a special series on children's health on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.